This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week on RVER, sponsored by Progressive Insurance. Hey, Chief, we got a damaged RV on its way to the OR. Well, that sounds like a job for the new head of RV surgery. (laughs) Wait, are you promoting me? Congrats, Martinez. Doctor, that RV's flatlining! Well, that sounds like a job for the new head of nursing. So you're just promoting everyone now? Yeah, kind of looks that way, doesn't it? When your RV really needs saving, Progressive has you covered. See if you could save with a leader in RV insurance. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates covered subject to policy terms. Welcome. It's a special edition of that Millwall podcast. Um, today I'm joined with uh, two different faces, one we've had on before uh, and one we haven't. I'm joined today by the one and only uh, Kieran um, from The Price of Football. How you doing, Kieran? You all right? Yeah, sound all, my, yeah, all good, Mickey. Yeah, good I, stuff, I, I, I would have my mucker from The Price of Football on, but he's a Palace fan. And I think think you and Palace have got a meeting coming up in a few weeks. Is that right? Yeah, I think we might have to do it. We have to, I think we might have to try and get Kevin on before the, um, the, the week before when we do a show reviewing that game, just to get him on so we can abuse him or he can abuse us maybe one of, one of the way, but yeah, it'd be a good, good crack to have him on. Um, I'll probably be outdone by his comedy wit to be fair, but yeah. <laughs> and, um, and we've got, Someone who is very vocal across the forums and across uh, Twitter. You've probably seen him quite a few times. Uh, we've got Phil Clark. Uh, welcome to the show, Phil. Hi, Mickey. Nice to see you again. Hi, Karen. Uh, hi, Phil. Right. What we're going to do today is obviously um, the Millwall figures have come out. It's that time of the year where Millwall's accounts are released. Uh, there's no point me going through the accounts or me and Omar going through the accounts because we're pretty much don't know the ins and outs. So we thought we'd just get an expert, which is obviously Kieran. Um, That's his job. That's what he does for a living and teaches and everything else around those stuff. And we've got Phil on as well, who's um, been quite active 
over social media the last few days talking about the figures and also um, he should be able to bring some good questions uh, towards uh, Kieran. So without further ado, then um, we will crack on. So the figures were released for the last 12 months, Kieran. Um, let's start at the top of it and, and we'll work through. So um, your views on on them coming out, I mean, your, your overview, and then we'll look into it a bit more deeply. I, I think they're as good as can be expected. And, and when we then say, well, hold on, you know, the club lost best part of £14 million in a year. And I'm saying that's good. People might think I've, I've gone crazy. But uh, we are living in, in – it was a COVID season. Uh, the club still committed itself to, uh, I think, players with new contracts. It was still active in the transfer market. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think the club is – it is is good to have a a benefactor in in John Berylson who's who's prepared to stick stick his hand in his pocket every year and uh, help to cover those losses and and those losses have been uh they've been round about sort of six or seven million pounds a year for quite a few went up in 2020 it's gone up again in 2021 should come down this season because we'll you know we're we'll all keeping our fingers crossed that we will still be able to go to matches for the rest of the season um the club is in a is in a solid position uh wages have doubled in five years so you know the, the club is investing so yeah I, I would say that they're they're pretty solid numbers I mean Millwall always seems to release their figures at the same time every year they they don't seem to um defer for a year like some other clubs and that I mean how are we how are we compared to some of the others what have released their figures or or is there not many out there what have released yet well, Millwall tend to be one of the the first first out of the blocks because they're a PLC and therefore legally they've got to publish their accounts within six months of the year end, whereas other clubs have got nine months. Rishi Sunak extended that to twelve for private companies, so it, it was it's been a tough year. So we've only seen Hull produce their accounts this year. They're they're broadly similar. Um, you know, they're a they're a they're a club that's got an owner who's who has been backing them. Um, so that I would say that they're, they're again, they're decent Norwich have put theirs out. Uh, they were promoted last season. They had the benefit of, of parachute payments. Uh, yeah, all, all clubs are suffering from, uh, the, the loss of match day income because it doesn't matter which club you are in which division, you've got TV money, you've got commercial money, you've got ticket sales. Uh, the, the TV money is, is broadly the same each year. Everybody's suffered as a result of uh, lack of match day, although it looks as if, I mean, Millwall got £1.4 million of match day, and you might be thinking to yourself, well, well, what's that? That's that's either fans sort of foregoing their season tickets, um, and, and it's also effectively sort of transferring your season tickets into iFollow. Um, and, and you've got to applaud, you know, fans who, who themselves are, you know, going through tough times uh, for, for their commitment to the club. No, that's it. That's it. So um, we're... Where should we start then, Phil? Through income, is it, or, or financial? Yeah, I position? think just maybe picking up on some of Kieran's points there. I mean, in terms of the, the match day income, you know, that, that drop, um, I guess, how does that compare? What was it, 4.4 down to 1.4 million? Do you think that's what we're going to see across the rest of the league? Do you think we've managed to do quite well to keep sort of 1.5 million in there? 
Yeah, because you, if you look at some of the clubs in the Premier League, Spurs and uh, Manchester United have both published theirs. Manchester United, I think, at eight hundred grand. So, so income, right. um, uh, because I think they'd 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 one fixture at home, and I don't think they're even allowed to have any crowd in just for that uh, due to Manchester still being on under lockdown. So, uh, yeah, it, it's it's going it's going to be effectively how much money you've earned from fans waiving their their right to a refund on season tickets um, and also I follow um, and, and we are seeing the lower you go down the leagues the the more the fans realize that they become increasingly critical to to a club's financial position if, if, if we take a look at Millwall in a normal year, probably around about 60% of the income of the club is is coming from the TV deals. Um, and in the Premier League, it can be as high as uh, 88 90%. As you drop into Leagues 1 and 2, uh, the TV income really falls off a cliff and, and clubs are more dependent upon fans. And therefore, we're seeing a lot of the smaller clubs who have literally gone out to, to the fan base with a begging bowl and said, look, yeah, we, we cannot survive unless you're prepared to help us. And I think you know, most fans will say, if if I can, I, I will try to help in some way. And it's been it's been absolutely magnificent the way that fans have come 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 across the whole country, with the exception of the Premier League, because everybody knows that you know there, there's there's loads of money coming into that from from TV. Yeah, and I think with um I, I don't know where it'll hit our accounts, whether it's these ones or probably next uh, next set of accounts, but Millwall, I don't know whether you're aware, but they very generously allowed everybody who bought a season ticket last season to roll that over and basically gave them a free season ticket this year to offset the cost. But also last year, anyone who did buy a season ticket got a home and away I follow voucher every week uh, funded by the club. So whilst traditionally they'd be selling that for £10, I guess they're buying that from the EFL at a lower rate. But nonetheless, they're funding you know, the, the chairman and the board decided to, to offer that to the fans. So that that must, in a way, that's actually cost us more money that, than we didn't need to spend, really. Yeah, I, I think it's a vote of confidence both ways. Um, and, and you've got to, I think you've got to applaud that. Um, you know, John Berrelson, he, he knows where Millwall's fan base is. He, he knows that it's, it's, a, it's a solid working class fan base. People don't have spare cash and, uh, and anything anything that's been contributed by the fans is acknowledged. You know, he's he's in a different financial position, um, and he's and he's not going to take the Mickey out of fans uh, in in the way he's behaved. And I think there's looking at these numbers. There's there's a figure here of two point six million pounds of, of money received in advance from season ticket sales, which is in the account. So I think that's that bit that's rolling forwards. Rolling forward, yeah. And in terms of those losses um, for this year, if we were to look at all championship clubs account say three years ago pre-covid yeah. these losses would probably still be quite respectable wouldn't they oh absolutely uh you know, the, if, if you could call that respectable uh it, it's 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 an insane division uh because you've got it, it, you, you've got this it's, it's like two two oceans meeting together where you've got clubs coming up from league one who the previous season had a million pounds, one million pounds in TV money. And you've got clubs from relegated from the premier league who the previous season had a hundred million pounds in TV money. And you throw them together uh, along with what you might call the hardy perennials of the, of the championship, the likes of Derby and forest and so on 
who who have owners who are losing money. Yeah, the, the average club in the uh, in the championship pre-COVID was losing four hundred grand a week. Staggering amount of money. I did a little bit of uh, I did a little bit of checking back in 2018, 2019. We had 366,000 fans in the ground in the year, and in the year of this account, we had 4,000. Yeah. When you look at it like that, you realise how massive that is for the club because it's not just the season tickets, is it? It's the merchandise, it's the dodgy pies, it's the uh, out of date oh, beer. It's, it's everything, isn't it? And all of that, and it just contributes. But it all again, contributes to income to the club, doesn't it? Allegedly out of date, really. <laughs> um. was that, it, it was out of date during COVID. They just didn't sell it. Yeah, no, let's see. One ground we went to, wasn't it? I can't think what ground it was now. QPR, was it? Or Gillingham, yeah, were... wasn't it? Where they done? Yeah. They had a sign up saying out of date beer. Yeah, yeah, they were were selling it cheaper. But yeah, I (laughs) think that just, you know, when you you look at a year with 4,000 fans compared to almost 400,000, you just, you know, realise how drastic that uh, that is for the club. Um, Yeah. And uh, any other thoughts on the on the uh, income situation at all, Um, Kieran, for you? Is there anything you picked out? Not really. Central League award in there. Yeah, the Central League Award, which is, for people not familiar, Central League Award is, is that uh, clubs in the EFL get TV money from two sources. First of all, there's the, the EFL's own TV deal, which is worth um, it's worth an estimated around about £2.5 million a year. Um, on top of that, there's what we refer to as solidarity payments from the Premier League, which is probably around about four and a half million. So for you know, for every hundred pounds you're getting from the EFL, you're probably getting around about 160, 170 from the Premier League. Uh, and people say, well, it's, it's, does that mean the Premier League's being generous? And the answer is, well, a bit yes and a bit no, hmm. probably more no than yes, because in order to get... Uh, EFL clubs to uh, accept that money. The the Premier League insisted at the time of they they signed the contract that uh, the EFL club signed up for the Elite Player Performance Plan (EPPP), which allows uh, which allows Premier League clubs to to cherry pick the best of your talent uh, coming coming through your youth system. Um, and, and for a club such as Millwall, which is a London club, and as we know, there's an awful lot of you know, young promising players uh, in in London. It's it's a real challenge because you'll have some really talented kids that you'll have spotted at the age of you know, 9, 10, 11, uh, you, you then develop them for, for four or five years. You're also trying to give them an education and a grounding in, in you, know, good prof- you know, good professional etiquette. And, and clubs do an awful lot of, of work with these kids. And then a bigger club, for want of a better phrase, will come along. And, uh, and under the EPPP scheme, um, there's a set tariff as to what they pay you. And, and it is peanuts, absolute peanuts. So, you, you get this four and a half million pounds a year, but you you are potentially losing a lot of money as well. You're um with that with the the finances. You're on about the compensation claim scheme, isn't it? As such for the for the under twenty threes, isn't it? So well, that, ideally, what clubs need to do is that when they know that a youngster isn't necessarily going to be staying, they need to look at trying to sell them or create a bidding war for them before they reach that age, so that they don't just get 
the compensation claim, isn't it? Because it's arbitration and everything else, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, it it, it, it is. It is now sort of fixed fees, which is which is a genuine problem uh, for, for kids. And remember, you're not allowed to sign a professional contract until you're 17. Um, so what will happen is you know, there's scouts at every game. If they see you've got somebody really good in Millwall under 14s, 15s, even when they're 16, they sign a, a, a youth academy contract. Um, you, you will get, I think it's it's... You know, something like forty thousand pounds for every year they've been at the club, um, and you could have the next Teddy Sheringham, of course, or whatever it's going to be. So that that's that's a real issue for me, um, and I think it's it's indicative of the way that the Premier League operates is that it's it, it likes to make itself out to be a uh, very generous benefactor, but they're they're only looking after themselves. Yeah, I wanted no, to I wanted to pick up on that. Uh, Kieran, because you, you mentioned about the conditions they've put on the um, contract, the 4.2 million, but we, we've also, I noticed in the accounts, obviously taken advantage of the um, uh, the loan from the EFL that's, I think, funded by the Premier League, which is also conditional as well, isn't it? Yes. Um, so th- I think the, the loan that they've taken out is, is around about £7.9 million. Now, that loan... I've got, I've got about 8.3 over three years, I think. Not that it's probably That's maybe with interest, I guess. Well, it's, it's supposed to be interest-free. I mean, if, if you look at the is cash it? flow statement, it, do, it does say around about 7.8, 7.9. Um, the, the Premier League has said that uh, the, the EFL borrowed 117 million quid from a bank and the Premier League said that we will pay the interest on that loan. Um, but those that loan does come with conditions. It can only be used to uh, pay any outstanding PAYE and national insurance on, on the players' wages or yeah, the club's wages. Um, and uh, it's, it's used specifically for that purpose to, to stop potential winding up orders coming from HMRC. Um, quite a few clubs have taken advantage of the loan. Um, I think it does have some conditions attached to it financially, which sort of tend to be linked to, uh, you know, the club's got to commit themselves to not spending on other areas or overspending on other areas. And, and this is why Derby didn't take it. And, uh, you know, Derby are now an administration for, for, yeah. for a variety of sins. So in, in a typical in a typical year, if we borrowed, whatever, 7.9, 8.3 million quid, and it's got to pay off HMRC. What would a club like me will actually be paying HMRC? I'm guessing we're not going to use that. So that money's got to sit on our balance sheet. We can't use it other than this, but it could sit there for three or four years. Well, it, it could have done, but remember, you, you've got to pay HMRC for your, for your PAYE every month. Yeah. So I, I think the EFL would be pretty hacked off. Um, and, and also, there, there are some constraints as to, to what you do. Uh, with the money and 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 that loan is repayable over three years so you know in each you know, this cost season 230 grand a month or something it's a chunk of money yeah. isn't it yeah uh but it it's it stops the threat of uh punishment from from the from the tax bodies yeah. and, and what's your view on how generous they were bearing in mind premier league have managed to spend what over a billion dollar billion pound on transfer fees in the same time they've loaned this money to the minnows well, I mean, they they have given money to clubs in League One and League Two. Um, I think I think they could have been more generous. Um, I, I wrote an article for one of the newspapers pointing this out a year ago, and I got 
I got my wrist slapped by by quite a few people for for, for piping up about it. Um, at that same time, clubs in the Premier League are are losing a fortune. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. They've they've spent a billion pounds. Although the, the Premier League itself is is very much now a you know it, it's the haves and the have-nots of that billion pounds. You know, 90 percent of that will have come from half a dozen clubs, and, and we know who those that the, the sneaky six are. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. So, so then, sort of looking further into into that the revenue side of things, we we took the furlough money. Have you seen much um, evidence from other clubs of that so far, and whether you know we're sort of similar numbers wise? Yeah, ev- 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 practically everybody in the EFL has taken advantage of the furlough, and, and rightly so. You know, the yeah. purpose of the furlough is to preserve jobs. Um, whilst the, the country is under lockdown. Um, the EFL clubs don't have access to the same level of TV rights as the clubs in the Premier League. So wh- why shouldn't they? Yeah, we, we've still got a Millwall yeah. to support. We've still got a Gillingham to support. We've still got a South End to support. Um, and, and I think you know, football's actually done reasonably well to come through this with relatively few casualties. Because you look at the high street, you you look at uh, you look at pubs and clubs; they they've all been absolutely hammered. Yeah, they're so so football's come out of it reasonably well. You've also got contractual agreements, haven't you, with the big TV providers that when there was no games that they were threatening or, or they were they were wanting money back to say, well, look, you know, you haven't fulfilled your side of the contract. Doesn't matter what the reason is. Um, we've lost out on advertising and everything else. We want X amount back from every club. Um, yep. and, and, you know, whether that be, I don't know, 100 grand from every club in the lower league, it's, it's a lot of money to suddenly, in the current situation, to suddenly go knock on the door and go, you need to be paying this back. I don't think it, it necessarily affected the Premiership that much, um, as much as it possibly did the lower end clubs. Because I think they've still got the the brand around the bigger clubs, but especially the likes of Mill and stuff like that. I think that would have that would have been a proper pinch. Oh, it would have been it would have been a nightmare if if, if there had been no football last year. First of all, what we would have done, yeah. Let's face it, we were all, we were all going stir crazy inside, you know, complying with lockdown. Uh, having football on every day, if if you did have Sky, and appreciate mm. that not everybody can afford it, um, did actually it gave me an escape route because I was I was doing doing the nut. You know, all, all of the neighbours from from my estate they were coming around and, and borrowing the dog because that was one of the reasons you could go out of the house. When you, you think about when the first <laughs> lockdown, we were not allowed out of the house unless you went to you're going to get your groceries, so or walking the dog. So yeah, it, 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 football certainly helped uh, during that period. The, uh, 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 maybe a question we're coming to a bit later with that with the FF with the FFP because um, I want to know how that affects, but that's probably something for later on. I mean, we've obviously done the income um, uh, and possibly look at expenditure. Is that, that that's the form we're going yeah. in? I was yeah. just going to ask on the, on the income. Is there is there much income from players sold? Have we benefited much? No, no. Uh, player sales were pretty modest, and I think this has been a feature of Millwall for quite some time. Uh, you know, it's it's around about three or four hundred grand uh, last season. It was eighty thousand quid in twenty twenty. The only year when 
Millwall have actually had significant player sales was 2018-19 um, when you sold players for around about five and a half million. So I think this is an area that that Millwall are probably looking to address because you know decent catchment area you know, in in that part of uh, South East London. You want to be picking up some some talented players and and and, and you know trying to be trying to uh, adopt a, a player trading model. You know, you've seen Brentwood Brentwood Brentford uh, end up in the Premier League, and the reason why they've done that is that they've spotted players, developed them, sold them on a profit, and that allowed them to plough that money back into the wage bill, um, and they ended up in the in the Premier League as a result. Uh, Millwall's sales. Uh, yeah, they're not they're not bad, but uh, it's certainly an area for potential growth. But in order to have that, you need you need an academy, you need facilities, and so on. I suppose, really, as well that that falls into the brand Millwall um, or the perceived brand of Millwall. Also, the fact that our training ground looks like a prefab from the nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties. Hence, why they're looking to move um they're looking to set up and i'm hearing that uh, uh that's i i i thought the training ground was going to be five to ten years but people in the area i've spoken to they're saying that millwall's promising um that it, it should be re- up, all up and ready within two to three years um and they're and they're sweetening the deal a lot because they're resurfacing local football pitches sorting out the local grassroots stuff and everything else so i mean it it, it sounds as if that move would be great for Millwall, but it also sounds as if it would be great for the the grassroots clubs and stuff around um, where they're buying their ground, where they brought their ground. So, you know, it's a win-win for everyone. And obviously, if we can get one of the best training facilities in the country, we're then likely to attract the talent who wants to develop rather than saying, here's our training ground. And someone looks around and says, but it's a prefab building. Yep, yep, you're absolutely right. Yep. Um, and if you look at the amount of money that clubs are putting into this, you know, Leicester, I think they're spending about 80 or 90 million pounds on, on new training facilities. Spurs is, is stuff is out of the world. Um, and the, if, if you're the parent and also if you're a kid, you know, you, you look, you look around and you, you do get a little bit starry eyed at some of the stuff which is on offer. Uh, you know, what, another one of the, the, the downsides of EPPB is that, uh, you know, play, it, it used to be that you had to live within uh, an hour, an hour's journey of the club before you were allowed to be a youth player. Um, that rule was scrapped. Um, you've got clubs such as Manchester City who are putting their kids through a private school where the fees are £18,000 a year. Um, and, and they could be nicking your players at the age of 10, 11, 12. But if, if you've got something which you can offer, uh, and as you were saying, Mickey, you know, it's, it's also being seen as a as a community-based club, which has got its, which is loyal to its roots, that will come back as a positive. Um, so I, I think the clubs, uh, again, got to be applauded for that. Yeah, it's quite hard work because teams like Man City have got a, an under five elite squad, what they, they pick for. I mean, there's a, there's a great documentary and a great book, what Michael Calvin's um, done, talking about, you know, the, the dark world of agents and, and kids and, and everything else in football. Because you could be picked up at three, four years old by Man City, be in their academy till 12, 13, 14, all of a sudden your growth spout goes the wrong way and all of a sudden you're no real benefit to them and they just go, thank you very much, no more, and you're suddenly out in the wilderness. 
um, looking for another club potentially you get. We've had it where, um, who was it with Ez, is it Eze, Eze, who, you know, was dropped by us. Eze, Eze, yeah. Yeah, he was dropped by us. And then obviously he went on. Lots of our fans say, you know, he's pure class, why did we drop him? But again, you're not in that environment. You don't know whether or not his attitude, whether or not it's the way he was. And all of a sudden he needed a bit to grow up and have another chance and go. Because if you read about Sterling when he was younger, Sterling was an absolute nightmare. No one wanted to take a, a, a chance on him. So, yeah, we'll see. New message. Hey, girlfriend, it's Carol from Jury Duty. We never actually spoke, but I saw you ordered the same hoagie as me at lunch. What are the chances? Anywho, I heard you just got a boat. We should totally grab some hoagies and take it out for a spin. When you get a boat, you also get new friends. Make sure Progressive's one of them and get coverage today for as little as $100 a year. Do I want to feel the wind in my hair? Guilty as charged. <laughs> oh, seriously, let's ride on your boat. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates Annual Premium for Basic Liability Policy not available in all states. Um, go on, Phil, next question. I, I was just going to ask Kieran, is there a direct link with clubs that you review between their income for player sales and their expenditure on players? Because, I mean, we don't spend a lot on players either, do we? So, you know, you, you've got to speculate to accumulate to a degree, even if you're growing your own talent. Yeah, I, I, and I think if you are growing your own talent, then it, it's it's down to having a good scouting network and also having having a development. Um, what we are seeing in the championship is it's very much a case of sell to buy. And if we take a look at Millwall last season, they spent just under one and a half million pounds on players, which was which is actually you know quite significant by by championship standards because the vast majority of clubs are either looking to get uh, uh, Bosmans, or they're doing loan deals, or, mm. or they're bringing players through. So anybody that's spending money is, is the is the exception rather than the norm um, over the over the course of the last two seasons. Even even the clubs that are coming down from the Premier League, they're they're selling first because they're trying to shift you know high wage earners off the wage bill, um, and then then they're then they're investing a, you know, a proportion of that back into uh, player recruitment. Recruitment. Um, I get we to pick up the pace. I'm conscious. Um, yeah. Everybody's uh, everybody's time. Um, in terms of, uh, I guess, probably moving on to the more broader questions now, um, Kieran. What do you see the long term impact now for the club in terms of FFP with these losses stacking up? Is there an implication? Are there EFL rule changes during this period? How how do you see that being for us? Well, I think the good news for Millwall is that they are pretty safe under the FFP position. You're allowed to make an FFP loss of £39 million over three years. There's some technical adjustments to that, but but Millwall are well within the limits. Um, So I I don't perceive that as being a problem. I I get the impression that that John Berylson wants a, a... broadly sustainable club to be a club that will be able to stand on its own TV. And when I say broadly sustainable, it means that if, if you take a look at Preston, their owner was putting in seven, eight million pounds a year. If you look at Ipswich, their owner, Marcus Evans, around about the same. Uh, I think Millwall, you know, under John, he's, he's putting in, you know, the best part of, you know, eight, nine million pounds a year. Um, and, that that's that keeps the club within its limits, and, and effectively that operates as your budget. Um, you know, would would the club like to be breaking even every year? Of course they would, but at the same time they want to be 
as competitive as, as as you can realistically be in the championship. Um, and also you want to stay in the championship because if you drop out, your TV money goes down from seven and a half million pounds a year to one and a half. I mean, one question I've got with obviously with expenditure is how much has the COVID procedures and everything else impacted clubs? You know, like obviously they've had to buy new gateways, new turnstile bits for it and sanitising and uh, stickers and everything else. I mean, surely that must have all had an impact on, on clubs as a whole. Yeah, I mean, all, all of your COVID expenditure is exempt from FFP. So so both right. the, the Premier League and the EFL have said that. Um, and, and uh, yeah, the, the costs are you know, hundreds of thousands, if not, you know, it could be over a million pounds for some clubs because it's, it's even some of the simple things that, uh, you know, whereas at the start of COVID or pre-COVID, you'd have the, the, whole, the whole squad going to matches away from home on a single coach, well, under social distancing, you're not allowed to that. So you might do have two or three coaches. Some of the clubs were actually hiring people carriers and no more than two players are, you know, are traveling in, in the people carrier together. Um, if, if you're staying overnight, if, you, if you're, if you're far, you know, going, going up to the likes of Middlesbrough, you're going up the previous night. Well, all of a sudden it's more difficult to get hotels. You might need to go and book more rooms because you don't want players sharing a room. Um, and, and all of this adds up to the, to the costs um, and and they, they did actually become pretty significant for, for quite a few clubs. Are you able to kind of almost put a rough valuation on what you think COVID over the past two sets of accounts has cost Millwall? Is there a simple sort of rule of thumb that you've, you're looking to apply? I, w- I wouldn't say there's there's a simple one, but I think you've you can say that you've lost a full year's worth of matchday income at least over that period. Um, you've probably lost, you know, another 20% of your income from ancillary bits and pieces and, and your cost base has gone up. So, you know, putting that together uh, from Millwall's point of view, I think we're probably talking somewhere in the region of, you know, 12 to 15 million pounds, which has come uh, partly that's been funded by the owner and also utilisation of, of the furlough scheme and uh, the, the EFL loan. That's pretty scary isn't it do you see an implication over the next year or two with the parachute payments in the premiership and an even bigger divide growing between those coming down with that money and all these clubs in the championship really struggling with their income yes um i I think the you know parachute payments do not help situations but they're not designed to help clubs in the championship. They're, they're designed to to prevent those clubs that are getting relegated from going bust. Um, when when you are competing, you know the clubs and the, the thing about the parachutes is that they are guaranteed payments. So so they've not gone down significantly as as a result of COVID. Although the Premier League itself has been hit by a reduction in, in its TV money, and uh, and the parachutes are linked to that indirectly. Um, it, it, I think it amplifies the gap between the the clubs that which have been relegated and and the clubs which were existing in in the championship which is is frustrating um, although we there's exactly the same in the premier league itself those clubs which are qualifying for the champions league each season you know, they are effective parachutes because that's money which the the, the other 14 clubs don't have so there's mm-hmm. there, there's there's big issues in terms of the the lack of uh, lack of fairness when it comes to distribution. 
and, and of course, everybody, if you, if you after every, you, you, you talk to chief executives of clubs in the Premier League, they say, yeah, we, we want fair distribution, provided it, you know, it's the same as we, we're all hypocrites to a certain extent. We all want more money for our club. Um, and uh, do you think it's too blunt an instrument, though, Kieran? Yeah, I, I think I think they're too high, and I think they're. I think my, my my approach is I think they're a bit too high, and I think they go on for too long. So I, I'd certainly restrict them to two years. If a club comes um, down and reduce reduces all of their wage bill massively and sells their star player for forty million quid, but then they still benefit from the parachute payments, which in theory they might not actually need. As well, in to if, stay if, sustainable. If, yeah. If they sell that player for forty million quid, I'm with you. So, I mean, some of them. If you look at Sunderland when they came down, they they came down with a bunch of turkeys, um, and, and and Sunderland had two years worth of Premier League parachute payments in League One and failed to get up. Yeah, you've got to question uh, the people in charge of that club as to their 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 inability to to run it on a professional basis. Um, so yeah, I, I think they're too high. I, th- I think they they go on for too long. Uh, I've I've read the Tracy Crouch report. I've read all 162 pages twice, um, and uh, it doesn't say scrap them. It says you need to get your heads. You know, the, the EFL and the Premier League need to come to some form of agreement, and, and that that's the problem with having a breakaway league like the Premier League because it's is not that, acting in the interests of all the clubs in the country. Is that what you were touching on in terms of the redistribution needing to sort of match the regulation so that it all comes together in a joined up way? Yes. Yeah, because if 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 you if you just scrap parachute payments, there's there's a genuine danger of, of clubs going bust when they're relegated. Uh, if you if you take a look at the wage bills of those clubs that do come down, they're coming down on average by forty percent in the first season. Um but and that's with parachute payments. So it probably does give them a, an advantage. So, yeah, I'd certainly think that they're too high. What's going to happen with that? But if, if you then say, well, we've now got an extra, you know, 50 million, 100 million pounds a year from parachute payments to be spread in the EFL. Well, 100 million quid spread, spread between 72 clubs isn't a huge amount of money. No, no, no definitely. Because it is quite, quite so, quite you know, heavy towards the team what comes down, which means that there are no none by fair advantage to potentially go straight back up anyway, aren't they? So, yeah. Yeah. Is there anything um, looking forward sort of coming to, to the close from my, my point of view? Is there anything in the, in the Crouch review that you think Millwall as a club and as fans we should look forward to in terms of the implementation? What changes do you think we can, we can see at our level? Um, I, I, I think... I mean, and, and you're clearly closer to the club than I am in terms of you know, you, you're you're supporting the club 365 days a year. Um, I, I, I quite like the idea of the golden share, which would and, and yeah, there's no there's no indication under the, under the present ownership that this this would be an issue, but sort of preserving those things which 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 you hold dear as Millwall fans. So you know, the crest, the colour of the shirt, um, the where where you play at present, you know, to, to, to have a veto over those decisions if somebody proposes a move, you know, the last thing you want is you know, you know somebody to come along and to try to do a uh, an oh. MK Dons on Millwall. So I, th- I think that would be really positive. Um, I quite like the idea of the licensing of clubs that uh, it's to stop the likes of Mel Morris. At uh, at at Derby County from using 
creative ways to try to get an advantage over other clubs in the division. And uh, the the, uh, the the regulator would just say, "Well, yeah, we, we're not going to. Yeah, we we make the rules. We, we we are going to take away your license to own this club if you carry on behaving in the ways you do." So it's, I think that will be quite a useful stick how easy that will be to get through uh, because we've already seen some pretty snarky remarks from Karen Brady, Angus Kinnear at Leeds, Christian Perslow, the private equity fund manager at Aston Villa, uh, Steve Parrish, you know, all, all of these sort of somewhat sniffy comments. Um, yeah, a, a lot of work's gone into that. I, I, think, the, I think the report is, is fair. It's, it's not that radical. It's you know, it's it's, it's, it's it's not North Korea as, as is being claimed. No, but the trouble is that these are all private businesses as such, aren't they? And it's sort of like what people are sitting there saying, well, you know, they don't want to invest that money in and then suddenly be told, actually, you're not in charge. You know, you, you, you don't have a license to operate no more. I think that's where people are, are a bit. And it'll be interesting to see how they change the rules to facilitate that. I, I agree with you. I think it should come in. But it's again, it's watching. We're lucky where we are. We're lucky. We've got a great chairman, yeah, who you know is behind the club, invests and everything else. Um, that he's great at what he does. But I wouldn't want to have the Derby guy um, and be along those lines because it would just be absolute. You know, it'd be absolute turmoil. Um, and I think that we'd be in such a a bad position over the last so many years if we had someone like that but yeah yep. I mean, yeah i agree i mean I, there, there was a there was a documentary uh done by al jazeera called the men who sell football yeah. clubs um and uh it, it wasn't main, mainly about derby but derby's owner did appear on it um I, I can't say too much apart from the fact that I was on that show as well and i've seen all the footage which didn't get through the lawyers mm. So, um, and I think if people did see some of that, they they might be slightly disappointed in mm-hmm. in in the way that some people connected to the football industry hold hold the game and hold the fans in such contempt. It's a money making machine, and and the trouble is, is that when you have a successful machine, what makes money what it does? Uh, unfortunately, you're going to have a few unsavoury people. Uh, involved in it, who are all they're interested in is taking a pay packet, um, yep. whichever way they can. We've seen it over the years with, you know, managers and, and other bits and pieces taking backhanders, this, that and the other. And, and and unfortunately, at the moment, there is no way of being able to stop that. We know that allegedly the Premiership and all that, when they want a player, go buy the parents a house or buy the parents a new car and et cetera, et cetera, like that to get in. It's supposed to be frowned upon and it's not supposed to happen. But, you know, there's ways around it where there aren't, you know, twice removed and, and further along the line gets something and it's all paid back. So there's ways around it. But, yeah, I mean, look, coming on, we, we, we've been in it thinking, I mean, what are your your standouts on the accounts um, for you? Um, the, the, the club's got a generous owner. Uh, if, if you take a look at the the total losses, you know, Running Millwall Football Club is is not going to make you rich. Uh, over the years, the club's lost 114 million pounds, and you know John John Berylson has said every year is a check. I'm I'm enjoying I'm I'm, I'm enjoying the experience. He, he's been there for at least a decade. Is that right? 
Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. 10 or 12 years now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I think that continued support, that, that is what I, you know, for, for, is a huge sum of money. Uh, and and there are lots there are lots of good guys in football. Uh, Steve Gibson does the same at Borough, Marcus Evans, uh, Trevor Hemmings at Preston, you know, and and they're not they're not getting any glory out of it. Mm. Uh, apart from the fact it's it's a team where you know they've got an emotional link in the same way that that we do with our clubs, except they also happen to be successful in other aspects of their life, and they've decided to invest it in, in football. But it's uh, yeah, the, the vast majority of football clubs is, is a license to lose money. In terms of the difference between to, to kind of reassure fans a little bit with what happened with Derby, you know, accrued huge debts, which has been their, seems to have been their biggest problem is just the the variety and the volume of debts that they've got. Where do you see Mill's debt position at the moment? I mean, we've obviously got an outstanding EFL loan, but you know, have you familiar with kind of what um, loan to equity conversions been with the chairman and the board? Yeah, what what, what the uh, what what the club is doing is that the, the owners putting in money in uh, in in the form of loans, and then those loans get converted into shares. Always putting it in these days yeah. in, in what's referred to as B shares. Um, so uh, that's that's a lot more secure because yeah worst case scenario and there is no evidence that this will happen if if a, if millwall went bust what you have to do is that you have to pay off all of your football creditors and there's not significant football creditors all of your hmrc has to be paid 100% millwall are up to date with a hmrc and then you've got to go and pay a quarter of all your other li- of all your other liabilities, or all, all, all your other debts. Well, because Millwall are being funded through shares, you don't have to go and pay quarter back quarter of the value of the shares back. So that they they would they will always be a more attractive proposition to a potential new owner. On the back of that, what happened at, at Derby County was was horrendous. Uh, you know, people have already lost their jobs. Uh, I, I used to work in the insolvency industry. I put, put, put my hand up here. Uh, so I've, I've had Derby County employees phoning up me asking where do they stand from a legal point of view, you know, because they've been doing X, Y, and Z. And, and then all the stories start to come out about how the club has been run. And this isn't the right place to talk about them. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think I should be telling tales out of school. And it was really depressing and, and really shocking that uh, it's it's local people working for the club that they love. They're making sacrifices. It's you know it's if if there's no bibs for some of the youth teams, well you know the the coaches will go and find find the money for the bibs themselves and things like that. And it's not I'm not saying that happened at Derby. I'm not saying it didn't happen at Derby. But you know these are the the, the type of horror stories that you hear. And then the the, the owner decides he gets bored and, and just walks away, having sold the ground to himself. So, so yeah. the administrators have got the administrators. What are they selling? They're selling the name of Derby County for a club which is realistically going to be in League One, and they've got to find at least sixty million pounds to pay off the football creditors, HMRC, and some outstanding loans. So I get, so I, sorry, I was just no, no, go on, Mickey. I was just going to say so. The, so, the, so the sort of takeaways from this really from you are: we're a well-run club. We're not laden with debt. With a new training facility upcoming, you know the next three to five to ten years looks super bright from that point of view. Um, and 
it's a well-managed, well-funded, well-supported club by the. And, it, and to be fair to John Berylson, there is a board of directors that invest as well. There are uh, other smaller investing directors, but we have to give them credit uh, too because uh, it's all comparativity and to your net uh, worth, I guess. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I think Millwall are, are a solid run club. And then the frightening thing is, as a well-run club, you're still losing millions of pounds a year. And that's, that, that shows us that there's something fundamentally challenging in the world of football. And you know the, the wage bill was £9 million in 2016 17 when I think you were still in, in League One, and it's now best part of £21 million. You know, to, compete in the, to compete in the championship uh, is, is an expensive business. And, and how we get wage control uh into football is is a problem because you've you, you've got some clubs in your division such as stoke city who say well we, we, we don't care what we pay in wages yeah we're, we're being bankrolled by the gambling industry and uh, that that makes a fortune out of football so you know, how do we have a sensible series of, of checks and balances is difficult and, you know mickey said you know they are private businesses but if i'm running a pub i need a license if i'm running yeah. a casino I need a license. Yeah, no, if I'm totally running agree. a lap dancing bar. Yep. Who's I'm, done that? I have done that. Yeah. <laughs> there's a whole the lap dancing there. or running there's, it. There's a whole new show there. Do you know what I mean? But I mean, what? Just a quick one before we do finish up. I mean, people are going to take in an understanding of of what John Berrison does because John Berrison doesn't own the doesn't own the ground. He doesn't own, own the stadium. He doesn't own the training ground currently, and pretty much the only tangible assets he has are the players and the youth players coming up. As a whole, there isn't, you know, the redevelopment isn't there yet. Um, again, that will be a benefit if and when that goes. Probably not within my lifetime, if I'm honest. I'll be surprised if it does. But once that kicks off and the new training facility, then they'll actually have something that they own. But right now, um, they don't actually own the stadium or the training ground. So the money he's putting in is pretty much a high risk for him because there isn't any way for him to get that back in a minute. Yeah, he's, he's the equivalent of the bank of mum and dad. Yeah, pretty in, much. In the sense that, yeah, okay, he's, he's putting the money in the mid bank shares and he's put some in, yeah, there is some outstanding in loans, but that will be, that those the interest on those loans gets written off. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a bit like if, if I, you know, like he's saying, you know, I want to buy my first car, Dad. Will you? Will you help me? Will you lend me some? Will you lend me some money? And you go, yeah, okay. And you know you're never going to see it. You just, you know, you just have to go and, yeah. You know, but it's, but if, if it's something that you love, then yeah. it's it's diff- it's a different environment. And I think he has fallen in love with Millwall. Um, yeah. You know, I think at the beginning he probably didn't realise what he was getting his whole, you know, getting involved in. But I think over the years it's got hold of him, and he, you know, he knows what we are. We're, I think. Morally, we're very similar in our morals, as in the club morals and the chairman's morals. And I think that he'll always defend us to the hilt and he doesn't have any problem putting his hand in his pocket. And hopefully over the next so many years with the training ground and other stuff being planned, that hopefully we can have some way of giving him not so much expenditure um, each year. I mean, bringing this show to a close, we, we go to you first, Phil. I mean, is there any... Any points that you just want to raise from this? Any any snippets that you've taken on and went, oh, I didn't know that, or 
that, that, that's no, I mean, there's some, no, some really good stuff in there uh, from Kieran. It's really helpful to understand a little bit more about the FFP, you know, the loan situation with the uh, Football League. So thank you for that. Um, really grateful for your time. It just, I'm just reassured that whilst these are huge losses, you have to put them in the context of a mad world that we're in. It's not a normal, you can't think about it in a normal way. And, you know, I don't know if you're giving, if you're giving the club a score out of 10 for its management through a, a very, very difficult crisis, you know, you're probably looking at maybe a, a seven or an eight out of 10, I guess. Yes, yeah, certainly. Yeah. I, I, I don't see what else they could have done. Yeah. And that's, yeah. and, and also Millwall never get a mention on the price of football podcast. And that's good. Yes, very true. Yeah, that, well, you, we, you, we only... you, talk, you talk to Derby fans; they are sick and tired of unless it's un- unless it's the uncle. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, uncle Terry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Kieran, you've got any final words you want to say? Um, any any snippets? What you know? You want people to to know or, or just take on before we close up? I, I think Millwall fans should be first of all reassured, and secondly, they should be proud of the way that their club is being managed. I totally agree. And look, we're bringing this to an end, but I think over the last two years, the way Millwall fans, those that can afford it, have, have, have got involved, those who carried over their season tickets, those who've made donations, those who've brought crowdies, those who've supported the club by buying shirts, uh, tops, training facility, you know, training tops, using different parts of the facilities, the trust, et cetera, et cetera, all the way down to giving stuff to the food bank, supporting charities, you know, you don't stop to amaze me from the poppy day a couple of months, a couple of weeks ago, where we raised best part of over 27 grand in a day for the British Legion was unbelievable. Considering what we're going through, we still do. But unfortunately, we never get the media. We never get the publicity for it. And if I'm honest, I don't ever want to start getting the publicity for it because we are what we are and people within and people who are close to the to the fan base in the middle set we know what we do and we don't need to scream and shout about it. We don't need it to be covered by national newspapers. We know what we do. We're proud of our club. We're proud of our fan base. So look, thanks very much for listening. Uh, Hopefully it's given you a snippet into the accounts from Millwall. Obviously, if you've got any questions, I'm sure Kieran will take them. Just get in touch with him on Twitter. Um, And yeah, there we go. Job done. If you like the shows, we are across YouTube, Facebook, uh, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, all you need to do is just type in that Millwall pod. Find us. We are available on all good podcasts, Apple, Amazon, etc., etc. Uh, again, that Millwall podcast. Thanks very much for listening. We will be back later this week with another show. And for now, that's it from me. Thanks, Kieran, for joining, and thanks, Phil, for giving up uh, your time this morning. So yeah, have a good day, chaps. Cheers, guys.
At Progressive, we know there's nothing like the feeling of riding a motorcycle with your crew on the open road. It's a primal, wild freedom. A feeling that would be impossible to recreate on the radio. Until now. Hit it, sound effects guy. Hmm, no. You know, we really lost our stride at the end there. Get 24-7 roadside assistance with Progressive, America's number one motorcycle insurer. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Roadside assistance subject to policy terms and limits and may require comprehensive coverage. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.